0: Welcome to the Peaceworks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God honoring relationships. Welcome back to the Peaceworks Podcast, everyone. At the time of this recording, we're still preparing and working for the relaunch of our Men of Peace coaching program. We're revamping a, a lot of what has been used in Men of Peace over the years. We're trying a, a new strategy and partnering with different people around the country to, to pilot a different approach that maybe we can use in multiple places. I'm excited about it, but it certainly is a busy time. And if you've been tuning into the podcast lately, you know that Uh, I've been addressing men on the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate the positive feedback that we've been getting for these episodes because it has really been a stretch for me. It's kind of a difficult, as I think I mentioned in the last podcast, difficult to communicate some of these principles, uh, you know, in a room by myself. So I want to continue that today, talking about uh, or continuing our series of Stop Hurting the Woman That You Love by talking today about repentance, or more specifically, godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. Uh, This is uh, a topic that we cover in Men of Peace, but it's something that I find that the church, unfortunately, has really lacked clarity on, uh, especially with this issue, with the issue of domestic abuse. And so if you are a man listening in and, and you have been through a process, let's say just make up an example. Let's say that you've been confronted and you've shed some tears. You've followed through with what the pastor has asked you to do. And uh, you're just really in a hurry uh, to get things back to the way they used to be. Um, I, I want to really challenge you to think through and just a brief, you know, a few moments today, really challenge you to think through how long this process should be. Not, not necessarily in time frame, but how intentional and deliberate this process should be and how evident change should be. You see, my fear is if you are like many of the men that I've worked with, and even, you know, I I guess to an extent, my own heart, the idea of how resistant I am to change, I found that to be true and and perhaps even more so with the men that I've worked with. So if you are anything like that, Uh, you may look for the path of least resistance. What do I have to do to restore my relationship? What do I need to do or say to get my wife back in the home? And and I think those are inferior motives uh, primarily because the the onus, the the goal, right, is about getting things back to the way they were. And I believe our goal really should be to, to repent and seek restoration, not just of our relationship, but more specifically with God. Once we understand the depth of our sin, and I've talked about that some in some previous episodes, and I surely we get into more depth uh, in Men of Peace. But one passage I want to share with you today uh, regarding this idea of repentance and change and sorrow is Second Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11 where the apostle Paul says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Real quick, those are pretty hopeful words, right? When sorrow is of the godly nature, repentance is the result. It would lead you to believe, as, and he will unpack this in a moment, that repentance that is, you know, repentance or an act of repentance without godly sorrow um, is is faux repentance it's fake repentance is what some would call cheap repentance godly sorrow he says brings about this true turning and change and it leaves no regret Uh, but he says worldly sorrow brings death the the sorry i got caught the sorry i'm experiencing consequences the sorry this hurts is insufficient to bring about that guilt-free salvific true repentance. And that's really one of the things that has to be hammered home quite a bit in men's groups. And so if you're listening in because you have identified some abusive tactics, behaviors, motives in your own life, uh, perhaps you are suffering some of the consequences of those, maybe you are alone or you're going through a divorce, or uh, perhaps even there's been some civil action taken against you. Uh, The temptation is to look at all of the outside forces at work. The temptation is to quickly resolve the conflict, which often, and I'm going to guess, if that is true of you, more than likely you have looked for quick fixes over the years. Perhaps your idea of peace has been the absence of conflict rather than the presence of Christ. And so maybe the, the fight that is really waging within you is, can I patiently and intentionally Pursue what Jesus has for me um, and set aside the secondary issues uh, that I want control of. You see, Paul goes on to say, see what godly sorrow has produced in you. That there is a a, a result of repentance, right? Godly sorrow brings repentance. Well, what has godly sorrow produced? And he lists out this um, this product of godly sorrow, which is earnestness, eagerness, and indignation Alarm, concern, readiness to see justice done, uh, proving yourselves to be innocent in this matter. There is a product of godly sorrow that uh, I would assume, and I know this to be true, so it's not just an assumption, it's an observation, takes time to both evidence and observe. Let's just talk a little bit about some things that that you need to do. Now, in a 20-minute podcast, My fear is that you're going to hear Pastor Chris talk and say, "Okay, here's my checklist. Let me go through each of these. Bing, bang, boom. I'm done. But my warning is that this is not a checklist. This is just a biblical strategy that is going to take time. So let's begin with uh, the first principle. And I think the first principle you need to embrace is the confession of sin. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, he who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them finds mercy. And you may agree. I mean, at first listen, most folks would say, absolutely, I'm willing to confess my sins. But the, the natural inclination uh, is twofold. And this is what I want to warn you against. And I really want you to self-reflect and ask yourself these questions. You know, is this how I'm quote unquote confessing? The first is I see with a lot of men that confessions of sin include some acknowledgements with big butts, meaning, yes, I, I confess that I punched a hole in the wall, but my wife, but my job, but my kids. And what, what happens is we're negating the acknowledgement or the responsibility. It's not a true confession. In fact, it's actually following, or I should say, um, contrasting, the words of Proverbs 28, right? He who conceals a sin does not prosper. Whoever confesses and forsakes find mercy. What we're doing with these conjunctions, with the big buts, is we're actually hiding the impact. We're actually concealing the ownership of our sin, right? Yes, I acknowledge this little thing I did, but I'm not alone. When we mutualize, we're negating in many ways the confession. When we mutualize, we're negating in many ways the the confession. The other thing that I see quite common is confessions being watered down. Uh, the, um, the sugar-free versions, the, the idea that, um, it's actually minimization, but the idea of um, confessing something passive, right? Rather than saying, um, I was hateful, I said wicked words to my wife, I was demeaning and belittling uh, a temptation for you may be to say, I've been less than loving. I haven't been as gentle as I should be. Well, that's very fuzzy, and it's going to be really hard to repent of that confession. How does one repent of being less than loving? By being a little more loving? You see, what we are looking for is specifics, because that's where we change. You see, the one who confesses and forsakes finds mercy. It's going to be important that we confess specifically right and then we forsake those specific actions putting on uh, something new Uh, one of the one of the passages that we could look at is uh, Psalm 51 which is um, David's response I believe to his uh, assault of Bathsheba and murder of Uriah Uh, James 5 is another good passage and you're talking and thinking about Connection with the church, when James says, confess your sins and pray for one another so that you'll be healed, the prayer of a good person has powerful effect. Confession should be central to our life, and I have found that the more often we confess, that is the more when we're committed to truth and we're not concealing or hiding, the more often we confess, um, the easier it becomes and the less likely we are to continue down the path. But for many of us, and I think for if you, listener, have found yourself in a situation where you've been demeaning, belittling, abusing uh, your partner, then I would guess confession is a foreign idea to you, or perhaps you've been really embracing what I said earlier, those confessions with caveats, those big buts, or confessing passive unchangeable things rather than real true ownership. So anytime through self-reflection, you can see that you're pointing the finger at someone else for your own sin, or you're cheapening the weight of your own sin through passive language, that uh, that's a good indicator that you're not confessing, that you're concealing. Uh, so a couple suggestions, really avoid words like but or maybe, and I'm not talking about when you confess to somebody. I'm speaking about in your own self-reflection as you're, as you're thinking through Uh, what it is that you have done uh, to harm somebody else. Avoid the the buts and the maybes. Be specific. That's where we change. Really wrestle with the specifics. Acknowledge the hurt. That's the impact of our choices. Uh, Because you're confessing not only that I did A, B, C, and D, but you're also confessing I see the results of those choices. I see how it has harmed you in the following ways except the consequences. I once heard an old preacher say, we can choose our sin, but not our consequences. And, uh, this is true. If you have, uh, harmed your partner, your wife, uh, in significant ways like this, if you have abused somebody else, you, you do not get to, um, choose the consequences. Um, They may be more than you think you can bear. You may not think they fit the crime. I've heard this a lot. The time doesn't fit the crime. You are not the judge. You don't get to make those decisions. You get to serve the time. So uh, accept the consequences. Ask for forgiveness without demands. Uh, You know, you are responsible to repent. The other person is responsible uh, to forgive and when you take the role of demanding forgiveness, I would challenge the sincerity of your repentance. If you are demanding that another person forgive you, then I would push back. Are you really repentant? I would say probably not. You're seemingly, it seems that you're more anxious to be forgiven than you are to acknowledge your sin. Uh, Alter your behavior. Uh, usually that's where we start, but that's really the last step. Change, show the change, evidence the change, pursue the change with everything in you. Um, so confession is a big part of the process. Uh, repentance, you know, repentance involves the use of our mind, our emotion, and our will. So this is about the repentance at the level of the heart. I recently heard someone say of biblical counselors that we focus too much on the heart and it can't be measured. And I think this individual thinks that when I say heart or a biblical counselor says heart, they mean something you know, internal and ethereal and kind of out in fuzzy land. But when I say heart, I'm talking about the inner person what we think what we feel and what we choose and so i think repentance involves our emotion our cognition and our volition there are significant um there is significant emotion in the expression of what uh, paul calls godly sorrow that leads to repentance however emotion is not the only indicator there are plenty of men and maybe you have been guilty of this who are sad at the consequences embarrassed that other people know or whatever emotion that is built primarily on pride not humility if if our response is coming from a heart of pride then absolutely I'm going to cry when I'm embarrassed or when I'm sad or when I don't get what I want I'm certainly going to show emotion Um, there is significant emotion in being confronted but we're looking for signs of godly sorrow so it's not only the emotions Repentance will produce action, okay, which is consistent with humility. So these emotional responses that may be defensiveness, um, sad that I got caught, embarrassment, those are more than likely flowing from a heart of pride. Emotion that are contrition, brokenness, more than likely flowing from humility. Will there then be... Behaviors, absolutely. So the defensive heart, the bitter heart, the individual who is um, sad that they got caught will seek to remedy what's causing them to feel bad. The repentant heart, the individual motivated by humility, right, will seek to remedy their sin. These actions will be rapid, done with diligence, and have serious purpose behind them. They are undertaken with a sense of alarm, possibly even fear over the seriousness of our sin. So hear me on this, guys. If you are really upset that maybe your pastor is not getting on board with all the work that you've been doing, is it possible that your hard work and your effort has been motivated by getting things back under your control? If that is the case, then I admire and respect the pastor for pumping the brakes because this is to be taken with a sense of fear or alarm over the seriousness of your sin, not the significance of your discomfort. Repentance results in biblical thinking, which has a desire to clear our conscience the right way and make restitution. Repentance has a passion to do what's right and a longing to see God honored. Quickly, I want to walk through this passage because there are all of these aspects of godly sorrow that, uh, that Paul mentions, and I think it'd be helpful for you to have this in bullet point form. He says, see what godly sorrow produces. So what is the product of a repentant heart? Somebody who practices and has godly sorrow. First, he says, what earnestness, this is the idea of having diligence and serious intent in pursuing a plan of repentance. The idea here is sincerity, right? I'm sincerely pursuing God's way on this. Now, let me give you, I, at the risk of giving you ammunition, which I don't want to do, I just want to, to give you this for self-reflection because I, I just I fear that some guys will hear this and they will say, man, I am passionate. I am sincere. I am sincerely doing everything the guys asked me to do. But what are you pursuing? Who's, who are you pursuing? Is it God? Or is it your own sense of control? The idea of earnestness and sincerity here is not, I promise to be a good boy. It is, I want to follow the heart of God on this. Next, what eagerness to clear yourselves. This involves rapid action to have a clear conscience. The temptation is rapid action to push things under the rug. Or to get the court to do what I want them to do or to get the pastor to resolve this as quickly as possible. This isn't about quick resolution to our discomfort. Hear me on this. This is about quick response to guilt and conviction. And if I'm not convicted, if you're not convicted of the ways in which you've sinned against your wife, then you need to go back and evaluate your sin. You need to go back and evaluate your heart. Because abuse should draw Guilt and conviction. I tell guys all the time, uh, we live in a culture that tries to assuage guilt. I've had many men say to me, I just feel so guilty. And my response is nine times out of 10, good. We, sh- we should feel guilty when we've done wrong. We should feel guilty when we've done bad things. And, and we can clear our conscience through the gospel, right? And through repentance that will never come through try- trying to assuage or push aside our guilt. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves. Next, what indignation. This is anger. But it's anger used to attack the problem, not a person. This is anger directed towards the sin in our lives. As I look at, at my own heart, as you look at the ways you've harmed your wife, are you angry? And I don't mean you're angry. Are you angry at your wife because they told the pastor? Are you angry at your lawyer because you didn't get what you want in court? Are you angry at the police officers for doing their job? Are you angry at me for being confrontational? That's not what I'm talking about. Are you angry at your sin? Is there indignation? Next, what alarm, he says. What alarm. It's a fear of what sin can do. It's a fear of the impact of your choices. Do you have a healthy fear of where your choices have led you and could still lead you? Next, he says, what longing This is about desire and it's a longing to be free from specific sins. It's, it's a, there's a level of hope. It's like, I I want to be free. What concern? Are you demonstrating zeal or passion to gain victory over these specific sins? Is there a real passion in your pursuit of righteousness? And lastly, what readiness to see justice done? Is there a willingness to make the necessary restitution? Jesus called us to um, pursue God's kingdom and his righteousness. The idea there is justice, the setting things right. If you have wronged another person, are you ready to make them right? To make it whole, to restore what you've destroyed, if your restoration plan is about you and how you benefit from restoration, then I, I don't see that as repentance. I don't see that as godly sorrow. Your restoration and your restoration plans should be about the needs, the, the desires, um, the impact that you've had on another person, the person that you've wronged. So make a specific plan to repent. Be sure to see the contrast of godly sorrow and worldly sorrow in your own heart. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, which produces those things in our lives. Worldly sorrow uh, leads to death and take specific steps. What specific sins in your life do you need to repent of? And as we're talking specifically about abuse, Have you gone through a process? Have you dialogued with somebody about the ways in which you've sinned against your wife, the impact of those specific sins, the motivations behind them, the heart that lies beneath it all, and have you contrasted that with the person and the work of Jesus Christ? Have you experienced the transformative work of the gospel, and are you passionately pursuing this new way of putting off and putting on? I hope this has been somewhat helpful, and I know in 20 minutes, 22 minutes, we can't cover everything, but uh, my prayer is that this will at least be a good introduction for you to think through what repentance really is. And if you've been practicing this cheap, fake repentance, uh, let me encourage you to talk to somebody, a, a godly friend, a counselor, a pastor. Um, have them listen to this podcast even and, and let them know this is what I want to pursue. I want to pursue repentance motivated by godly sorrow that produces these things in my life. Thank you guys again for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast. I so appreciate everybody that tunes in. Uh, keep looking on the social media. Sign up for our email, um, weekly email blast at chrismoles.org. Continue to to tag along. And uh, as always, for those of you who listen, we appreciate you so much. And until next time, God bless.